0: Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. Today I'm here with Kat Byne. We're coming up on some cool shit. <laughs> <laughs> so Hi. you were born in Hollywood, Florida. Mm-hmm. Hollywood, Florida, yeah. F.L.A. What was the music scene like there when you were growing oh, up? Oh, well, so when like, I was like, growing up, it was like the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And in South Florida, um, I mean, obviously Latin music. Uh, Miami bass was like everything. Everywhere was uh, uh, Uncle Al and 2 Live Crew and um, DJ Laz was like the shit. Uh, If you, to this day, if you're in Miami or South Florida and you play the song uh, Esa Morena, like, it will go off. Like, even uh, uh, this last Miami Music Week, I was at the Brownies and Lemonade after party and GTA played that song and it was, like, such a beautiful homecoming and everyone was just, like, going off. So if you're ever in Miami you need the perfect pop-off song, you need to play DJ Laz, Esa Morena. (laughs) <laughs> and then also like it was fun because that was the period when Will Smith's Miami came out and like I didn't really think at the time like oh wow I'm like in the middle of the place where It felt like it was very much like when I look back on it now it feels like it was very much a place that was having a moment at the time but only in retrospect do you realize that sort of thing because you're a kid you're not really paying any attention. Mm-hmm. Hi! <laughs> and then he got kind of into... Um, he was like right first from the spin... Yeah, so I was always into music, I guess. Um, When I was a kid, my parents listened to a lot of the Beatles and um, stuff like that, obvious stuff, I guess. But I got really into music when I got into middle school, and yeah, my aunt bought me a subscription for a year to Spin Magazine when I was in seventh grade, I believe, and that just started this whole obsession with... Music journalism and the story behind music, and um, I, I stayed subscribed to Spin Magazine for like. Excuse me. I'm pretty sure until right before I went to college and I just had every issue of spin forever and one of my great regrets in life is that when my mom moved after I was in college She was like, okay decide what you're keeping and decide what you're getting rid of and I got rid of all these spin magazines And now I wish more than anything that I could sit and read these old articles that I still remember like as inspiration and, and research and stuff so I feel like one day maybe It'll become like my old lady thing to regather all those issues that I threw away like a dum dum, (laughs) like complete my uh, my anthology once again. Yeah. Shout out Chuck Klosterman. Chuck Klosterman was uh, is alive. He is a culture music uh, commenter and writer and He wrote for Spin Magazine at the time, he also used to write for GQ, and he has a couple of anthology books that collect some of his best stories, and he was a really big inspiration for me as a writer and as a music journalist today. But you didn't think that you could be like a music journalist? Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't grow up thinking or saying out loud, oh, I want to be a music journalist, oh, I want to be a writer, even though I was very much interested in it and I was always writing things because it just didn't seem like the sort of thing one becomes. Like, I couldn't see the clear path of how that happens. It seemed kind of like an impossible thing to be. Um, So, (laughs) I, I didn't really talk about that much, but... I think deep down it is really what I wanted to do (laughs) because that's, like, all I did. I'd go to the grocery store and always buy, like, guitar magazine and Rolling Stone and pretty much anything that had to do with music. I was reading constantly. And then for college, you try to study, was it music? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so instead I was like, oh, I want to be a music producer, but not in the sense that, like, you know, kids are now, more in the sense of, like, a Rick Rubin, somebody who comes in and advises a band, to get the best product out of what they're doing. And I did, um, I was in band, like I play music, I know how to read music, I have some understanding. Um, But I went to, I tried to get into the music program at FSU, because they had actually a music production program for that sort of production. But you had to be an orchestra student the first two years. And I played clarinet, so I went to the, I didn't really want to be an orchestra student, but I figured that's what I had to do. So I went to the audition, and as soon as I got to the audition, I felt like I didn't really belong there, I just felt really weird, and like all the other kids were really excited about being like an orchestra student. And I got really nervous and in my head, and I totally messed up the audition. I couldn't even play a B-flat scale, which is, like, really sad. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I messed that up, and I was like, wow, this is it. Like, that's that's over. Um, And I would have had the chance to try again in a year. Like, I did get accepted to FSU. I just didn't get accepted to the music school. So I stayed at FSU, and I didn't have a declared major. And I decided in my first year that that wasn't really the path for me. So I, um... (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing. I was studying, I was taking a lot of English classes and philosophy classes and creative writing classes. And um, then I, my boyfriend at the time applied for University of Florida for the journalism school and didn't tell me until the very last moment. And I was freaking out at him and he was like, well, you know, maybe you should do the same thing because you always edit all of our friends' papers and, like, maybe that's a cool thing for you. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds like it could be cool. Mm -hmm. And so I changed my schedule. I applied to transfer. I got accepted. And when I was in the orientation at UF and they were explaining what journalism school was all about and, like, kind of trying to scare you with how hard reporting class was going to be and they were like some of you aren't going to be really into this and some of you are going to leave and blah 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 I just felt so inspired and I was <laughs> like oh my god this is what I've been waiting for my whole life this is what I'm going to do and yeah ever since then I feel like I just found my, my well, I guess really I just found the confidence to to do what I wanted to do yeah. you know so and yeah, then, was that when you were still doing stuff for the school paper what was that, that was you? right before Okay, so I transferred to UF in 2008, and when I started at school, I think in like my second semester, I just walked into the office of the student-run newspaper, the the Independent Florida Alligator, and I was like, hey, I want to write stuff. How do I write stuff? And they said, okay, fill out this form. We're going to give you an assignment. It was international pancake day and I went to IHOP (laughs) and I wrote about it and I did a good job and from there they just kept giving me more assignments and I think the lesson to be taken away from that is if you want something you just have to ask don't ever be afraid to ask just just go in there and say I want this and you'll be surprised and then when you get your opportunity work really hard and be on time and go the extra mile and if you can do that then if you're reliable and you do a good job, you're already better than like 75% of the people out there. Mm-hmm. Just be on time and reliable and do a good job. <laughs> and, yeah. Like you're, you're going to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then don't get like, you know, fool yourself yeah. <laughs> once you start doing well, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and then after he graduated, he worked for the Miami, Miami new times. Yeah. Yes. Um, so when I was in school, I was working at the Alligator, and I also started a blog with my friends. Fresh Wet Paint, forever, for life, shout out all my oh, homies. Yeah. Um, oh, you interviewed also a lot of producers. Yeah, like I. Uh, this is a funny story. So in 2009, or like early 2010, um, Skrillex went on tour and came to play Gainesville, and I was friends with the people that promoted the parties at the time, and we had this sweet thing where they'd bring the DJs and they'd let me interview them or whatever. And I remember telling the editors at the Alligator, like, listen, this guy Skrillex is coming, he's going to be a really big deal, I I can get an interview with him let's do it. And they were yeah. like, no, no, one, no one knows who this Skrillex guy is. And I was like, okay, hey. trust me. Like, you want me to do this interview and I'm going to do it. So I had to convince my editors to publish my interview with Skrillex and I did it. And now in hindsight, it's hilarious. That's crazy. But uh, yeah, I also, uh, Wolfgang Gardner came through, interviewed him. Um, I, I interviewed Steve Aoki a couple times. Back then, it was just wild. Like, game, it it was a crazy time because that was really when EDM was first exploding. Yeah, that's why they were down because they were so small back then. Yeah, and they played a a venue that I think had a capacity of close to 2,000. So it was like a pretty decent size, but the the promoters could afford to bring them and may actually make money because at the time they weren't being paid like thousands and thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. you know, or tens of thousands of dollars. And the energy was just, int- it was different back then. It was kind of like the Wild West. Like no one really yeah. knew what was going on yet. It was just like kids having an insane time. <laughs> <laughs> and now I feel like things are... Uh, They're just different. (laughs) And when I was going to UF too, it was like actually the number one party school in the country. Oh my gosh. Which is amazing. I like to think that my friends and I statistically helped with the amount of partying that we were doing. It was definitely crazy. (laughs) It's it's interesting that I can still string sentences together. But it was a good time. And then and then so I graduated and I had that experience and I knew someone at the Miami New Times from college and he put in a good word for me and actually I graduated and two months went by. I'd already spoke to the editors at the Miami New Times about joining but two months went by since I moved from Gainesville back to South Florida. I was like living in my dad's living room (laughs) and uh... I didn't hear from them and I was getting really discouraged and I was sending my resume out to places and not hearing back at all, you know, like not even a no, just no Mm -hmm. response. And I was getting really anxious and I started to feel like I was going to have to give up and like get some other job that had nothing to do with writing. But I heard back from them after two months and I started doing some culture writing and I went into the office one day and I asked for the music editor. Again, you just have to ask. I was like, hey, I feel like I should be writing for you. I you know, I have a lot of experience with dance music and music journalism from college and I think I'd be well suited for this. And he was like, whatever, what's your email? I'll add you to my listserv. And he sent an email out asking if anyone would be around to cover Dead Mouse. At this club that used to exist called Mansion on South Beach, and I was immediately like, "Yes, hi me, this me, like EDM me." EDM me. (laughs) So I went, and he was like, "Well, we don't have a camera person going. I have a photographer, so you know, figure out how to get some photos." And I found a photographer in the crowd. I was like, "Hey, can I have some of those shots you're not using for the Miami New Times?" Sure. So I turn in my story. I, I, you know, I obviously did a good job, and I provided photos. And the editor was like, okay, this is great. How about you give me three stories a week? And then I was oh, like, yes, wow. okay. And then that turned into at least a story a day. And then it just turned into me and him being like, buddies, oh. shout out, Sean. Oh. Uh, and then, yeah, and then that was, that was how it kind of yeah. all began. Yep. So, and then the next was the, we started writing list. Yeah, I used to write a lot of satirical lists. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 like what, what? were the titles? Like, Call out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there was this one that was like, ten uh, reasons why EDM is the wimpiest youth culture movement of all time, or mm-hmm. something. And like, the thing is, a lot of people would get really mad at me for saying things, but I think. Uh, The reason why they were getting so mad because it was funny and it was true and it was just things that like I myself would do. Like I made some comments about like it's hard to look tough when you're like passed out with a pacifier hugging a Care Bear or something. But like, that's definitely something that actually, I have like a picture of me passed out with a Care Bear. So, um, but I think it's really important to be able to laugh at yourself. And I think especially in the dance music genre, it's important not to take it too seriously because it's the least serious genre on the planet. It's all about having a good time. And if you take anything so seriously that you can't laugh at the things that are kind of goofy about it, I think you're missing the point. Do you think you could still put out these articles now? Like, do you think people got more sensitive over time? I think that in general people have become less freaked out about it because, like, look at Wonderground, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a completely satirical website that is just calling out the silliness about the whole thing, and mm-hmm. everybody thinks that's funny. I think, uh, it was a time when it was like 20. 12 or so and it was like peak EDM explosion Mm. and I think people just, but it worked out great for me because my posts would get like re-syndicated across the paper chain like here in LA Weekly and the Village Voice in New York, they're all like the same paper chain. So all these articles I'd write would get syndicated and then they'd get like you know, shared all over the place and all these people can like freak out and laugh or laugh or be mad at me. I got some really awesome hate comments in my day. Oh really? Yeah. Was Was it like targeted at specific like producers or was like EDM as a whole? Uh there's a few different things. Um, I did once write this thing where I, that was targeted at particular producers, and I was just try- trying to say like that some of them I didn't think had uh, as much artistic integrity as other ones, and that one caused a little bit of a stir That's among I was certain. certain producers. <laughs> but... uh I stand by (laughs) it and it also like doesn't fucking matter like even some of the producers that I put on that list I've interviewed multiple times I've like oh so they know you're joking I wasn't really joking about that one but um, it just like in the end doesn't matter you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like you can have your opinion and you should say your opinion because it's just an opinion And at the end of the day, if you're honest and truthful about your opinion, it's not going to make or break somebody's career, really. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh Although, uh, it's different, though. Now I write for Billboard, mostly. And it's not really the same kind of environment. Um, But yeah it's still fun <laughs> it's been a long time since I really wrote something like absolutely ridiculous I'm waiting for it but uh I, I have ready set... video form <laughs> right I know it's I, I, series. like I think uh I mean I guess I shouldn't just like give away all my ideas but <laughs> I've always thought this would be funny like I wish I could make like an online quiz to um like try to guess like is this a a lyric from like a trance song, or is this like a Hallmark oh, card yeah. greeting, like those <laughs> like, like you know the silly poems inside cards? Like sometimes I yeah. feel like who would know the difference? <laughs> Dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's funny about it too is like like I think those posts are really funny, yeah. but obviously I wrote them like six years ago, and my writing is better. So sometimes I read those things, and I'm like, man. I stand by all of this, I think it's funny, and I, and I meant it, but like, my writing is just better now, so I feel like, even <laughs> if you looked up all that stuff, it's just, I don't know, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote some really ridiculous <laughs> shit. <laughs> and then a bunch of publications reached out to you. Yeah, so I think because I was in a really, per- it was a combination of right place, right time, and just work ethic. Like, I don't want to say I was expressly lucky, because I do think that I've worked hard. But uh, I was, being in Miami, it's a big city, and it's a city that's had a strong community for dance music, even when other parts of this country did not. And growing up there, I was exposed to drum and bass, Florida breaks, um, jungle was everything. Like I started going to raves when I was in high school, and so I understood the culture, and the city understood the culture, and when EDM started to explode, you know, Ultra had already existed for 10 years, it was primed for the spotlight in a sense. And Miami is a big city in terms of its cultural influence, but it's a small town in terms of how it feels to actually live there. Like here in LA, everything's spread out and there's a million people trying to do the same thing you're trying to do. But in Miami, there wasn't that many people writing about dance music and I had a great platform and I worked hard and so when national publications started to need someone to write about dance music in Miami my name came up Mm -hmm. and so they'd start to reach out to me so when Insomniac started their editorial platform I knew someone that was on board with them from the beginning and he called me shout out John Ochoa, and was like, (laughs) Kat, would you like to be on board with this project? I was like, absolutely perfect timing. I was actually just getting my resume together to try to find some more publications to write for. And then I uh, got hit up by Thump, Vice's Dance Vertical, Mm -hmm. RIP Thump, and started doing work with them. And I ended up doing some coverage on Ultra and dance music for Maxim magazine. And then um, I did some stuff for Mix Mag and the Mix, like just a bunch of random stuff. I did an interview with uh, Dog Blood, which is Boys Noize and, and Skrillex for Coachella's magazine one year. That was really cool. It's like a bunch of random stuff, um, mm-hmm. and that helped me to increase my publication, my regular publications that I was contributing to, which obviously helped me make more money and like <laughs> survive as an adult. <laughs> and um, And then the more clips that you get with more publications, uh, the more editors will continue to reach out to you because you're building your reputation. Oh. And how did you about three years ago? Yeah, Matt Medved hit me up about covering Ultra with him, and Billboard Dance didn't really yet exist. I think they had brought, he was a freelancer with Billboard previously and they brought him on to create the Billboard dance vertical and I think he was in the process of doing that when he brought me on to help at Ultra but it wasn't official yet so the Ultra review just went on regular billboard.com. but then he started dance a couple months later and I continued to freelance with him. Also around that time I started doing work for Instagram, Instagram had this editorial platform for about a year it was called at music mm-hmm. and i would do interviews with artists my first one was with kygo actually Oh wow! yeah uh, that took a different kind of approach it wasn't so much about their music as it was something they were doing maybe they had like a side project making pottery or like something yeah. ridiculous like cool. we would do stuff like that yeah it was good i think it was really helpful for me in terms of my profile writing it helped me become a stronger writer to kind of try to find these different angles And, um, but that only lasted for about a year. And that was really good money. And when that went away, I was in the process of moving apartments in Miami. And I had just come back from like a 10 day vacation in Europe and I'd spent all this money and I started freaking out. And I was like, oh man, what am I gonna do? Um, What am I, like, I just lost this big client. I sent Matt an email. And I said, hey, uh, I just had a client kind of disappear by no fault of my own, I just want you to know that I have more time on my hands, and I'm available to do more work for you, and if you have any cool projects in mind, let me know, and he was like, you want to hop on a call and talk about getting you on a retainer, and I was like, basically, I'm still a freelancer Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, but I'm like the go-to person at Billboard Dance. Mm -hmm. Our agreement isn't anything super hard in stone, but it's basically that, like, I get paid per article, and I'm the I'm gonna write most of the articles. I'm like responsible for just being there mm-hmm. and doing it, and it's been a couple years now. Yeah. So it's kind of like become its own monster. We're just like all a team, and shout out Dave because Now mm-hmm. it's like the three of us, yeah. and Jordyn Diaz too. Yeah. Like I love Bill Cortez. <laughs> <dance. laughs> Bam, but uh, it's cool, and again, I mean, it all comes down to that concept of don't be afraid to ask people. Like, if you want something and you need something, if you ask, you never know, Mm -hmm. which I still have to remind myself to do all the time. (laughs) Do they have full-time editors or not really? Yes, Billboard has full-time editors. I don't know how many full-time staff writers they have. Uh, I think it's a lot of freelancers. Uh, people like me and the editors write stuff as well. What are some cool projects you worked on with Billboard over the years? Okay, well, last year I like peaked and I got to interview Justice, which are my absolute gods. Yeah, and it's crazy because when it happened, I had been up at space in Miami the entire night Mm -hmm. before. I hadn't slept in like 36 hours. I was freaking out because I'm like, interviewing my gods and my voice was gone. And I was, I felt like in the moment that it was going so terribly because they're super French as well. Like they won't laugh at your jokes if they don't think they're funny. They're very serious. They, you know, they're speaking a second language second of all, but it actually went fantastically well and I'm really proud of that piece. So mm-hmm. if you wanted to read something I wrote, read the Justice piece. Yeah. Or I just interviewed Porter Robinson about virtual self mm-hmm. la- at Miami this year and I'm really proud of that piece as well. Um, I feel like I'm in a good space right now with the profiles that I'm writing. I think that that's what I'm most passionate about is um, speaking with artists who really have a story to tell and are passionate about the work that they're creating and telling that story and drawing conclusions between the things that they do in their lives and the things that they believe and where they come from and then how those motivations manifest in the music that they're making. Because these people don't necessarily know how to express themselves in words, Mm -hmm. but they can express themselves in the music. And I think it's really fun to try to get at What that hidden story is in the music. Um, Do you think the way you like write editorials or think of stuff to write has changed with the shift from like SoundCloud to now like Spotify playlists and stuff? I don't know that the way that I write has been affected in terms of what I was just saying about like telling stories. For people, I guess it probably has changed. I think it's changed more what's happening on the business end of music than much else. I feel like people on the business end of music are in this constant competition to figure out the rules of the game so that they can then take advantage of the rules of the game. But I don't really think so much about that stuff because I guess at the end of the day I'm more of a music fan than I am a music professional. I... I just listen to music and ask myself if I feel anything. Mm-hmm. And I suppose for me, streaming platforms have been a really nice thing because you do have the ability to discover a lot of music based on these kind of like algorithms of what sounds the same. And I think that that's really nice for fans that discovery has become so much easier. Because, like, when I was a kid, it, I, we, I had the internet, so I wasn't one of the people that didn't who had to like go to phys- physically go to record stores and dig through records and pick up vinyls oh, yeah. and then you know figure it out or CDs or whatever. But I still I got all my information from magazines and from liner notes of other people's CDs and stuff, or just hearing. You know, you had to have like a, a cool friend or a family member who could be like, oh. You like the you like the Pesh mode? Well, here's the cure, and here's the Smiths, and here's Susie and the Banshees, and here's all these other things that you might be interested in. Now kids have this endless fountain of opportunity with music because if you like Giraffage, you can put Giraffage Radio on and discover mm-hmm. all these other incredible artists, which is totally something I've like specifically done. Yeah. <laughs> but um in that way I guess it's cool. And I know that there's a lot of influence that shifting just from SoundCloud to Spotify has on the business end. I just I'm not a not a
1: mm-hmm. not a
0: business person. Yeah. <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. know. <laughs> what do you say have been your biggest challenges so far at the job? At the job. That's an interesting question. Um I think especially as a freelancer, learning to best manage my time is a really important lesson i'm currently in a headspace where i worry that my output isn't as great as it has been in the past i think sometimes though you go through ebbs and flows with your productivity and you can't let it get you down Uh, but learning to be really organized has been key for me and there's also a lot of noise. I feel like I'm constantly in a sea of noise. A sea of people trying to send me things and tell me things and ask me things. And I think it's really important to prioritize what you need to get done and to set attainable goals that you can plan toward. Um, but that's all yeah. a work in progress for me as yeah. well. <laughs> what do you think would be, like, kind of the future of writing about dance music? Like, do you see it being more, like, longer thought pieces? Like, premieres don't really matter as much because of, like, Spotify playlists? I definitely don't think that premieres matter as much. It's funny. We're always kind of, like, we do a lot of premieres at Billboard. And for us to share a song that isn't from, like, one of your, like, top ten DJ guys, uh It really is key for us to get some sort of exclusive element because we need to drive traffic at the end of the day. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying Mm -hmm. to get clicks um, so that we can get paid. But I don't know to what extent a premiere really does much for an artist um, because you kind of need to have your audience built in as well. but for some reason, people still, like, really like premieres. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know how long that's going to last. And I yeah. do know other journalis- uh, journalist friends of mine who are just, like, really not into it. Like, I don't think DJ Mag really does premieres much anymore. Um, I don't think, like, Vice really does a whole lot of them. Uh, don't quote me on that, I guess. But um, I-, I also don't know if... Long-form, thoughtful pieces are the future of dance music journalism. Even though it's what I like to do, yeah. I don't know that that's like what the industry is going to go toward. Uh, but I think everyone's really thinking about video. Shout out you <laughs> <laughs> um, as a as a medium right now. Um, the thing it's, it's difficult because you have to think about how do you get people's attention. I personally believe, and obviously I'm biased because I'm a writer. That if you tell a compelling story, people will pay attention. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is important to keep quality at the heart of what you're doing. I just believe that there is a way to provide quality content that is informative and enlightening, but also entertaining. And it's important to me to try to find that perfect formula that is engaging, but doesn't lose sight of what we're here to do and that's tell compelling stories about things that people are interested in and I even think there's a way to use the clickbait formulas that people use but to better effect like when I was writing those satirical lists yeah I was writing clickbait lists but I was trying to do something interesting with it you know and leave people with the feeling that it was worth clicking on. I, mm-hmm. I, I hate that feeling that you click on a link and, and you go, why did I do this? Like, yeah. I didn't learn anything. I feel stupid. I feel like I got tricked. Like, that should never be mm-hmm. the feeling that you get. Um, what kind of, like, posts do people want to see or, like, that do best on Billboard? I don't really know all the numbers, to be honest. Uh, but we have an interesting way of doing things where we put a lot of stuff that is very SEO-rich, we call them evergreen posts, yeah. so that we can have this kind of constant level of traffic mm-hmm. so that we have a little bit more freedom to be experimental or to write about something that maybe won't get a lot of clicks but that we're passionate about sharing what someone's doing mm-hmm. or, or having a certain opinion. Um, I wish I could give you more concrete information on like what actually gets the most hits, but I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Last question, what do you want to be remembered for? I would like to be remembered for the stories that I tell. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing in the whole world is when people say, That's what I was feeling, but I didn't know how to say it. So, I would like to be known for being able to poetically make sense of the chaos of our lives and relating things that we're all going through to something that we can all understand. Mm -hmm. In like, bringing the big ideas to a smaller... Format, but capturing all those feelings at the same time. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, I love <laughs> yeah, that. This is awesome. Thank <laughs> you so much. No, thank you so much. Shout out Lauren Killing It. Oh, I love this whole thing. side Talk so is much. awesome. And she's out here doing it. That's yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. You see something, you want it, go do it, go get it. So, oh, yay. That's so sweet. Thank you so much. Bye, <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys. Bye. Shout out Coffee. <laughs> <laughs>